So today's text is Jeremiah 29, uh, verses 1 through 11. So I'm reading out of the ESV. I'll give, a, give you a couple moments to get there. Jeremiah 29, verses 1 through 11. Okay, so Jeremiah verses, uh, Jeremiah 29, verses 1 through 11. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah, the prophet, sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisah, the son of Shaphan, and Jamariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom, Zedek, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So it said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed, for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Thank you, brother. Some tough names and words in there. You did a great job. This election feels different to me than other elections. And what I mean by that is not that this is the most important election of our lifetime like we hear every single election, but just that for the first time in my life, I kind of have a little thought in my mind that, is this thing going to end peacefully? I read an article online by USA Today, and they said that three out of four Americans are fearful that there'll be some level of violence during or after this election. To be clear, I, I think things will be okay. There might be some demonstrations that get out of hand. But there's no denying there's a sense of tension and chaos and even some despair that's in the air in our country right now. And the question I want to ask in light of these realities that we're facing 
is what is God's plan for us in 2020? How does he want us to respond to this situation? How does he want us to act and to live our lives? What if something really terrible happens this week? Does that really change anything? Or do we have a plan from God about how we should live and how we should act? Do we know what he wants us to do? To find out what that plan is, we're going to turn back to Jeremiah 29 to a letter written almost 2,500 years ago. This letter was written by the prophet Jeremiah, and it was written to the exiles who were in the land of Babylon. An exile is a prisoner who's taken out of their country and brought to another country that is not their home. This letter was written about 400 years after King David from the Bible was king in Israel. And it's written about 600 years before Jesus comes so that you know where it is in history. And what we see in this letter is that he is writing to people who have been brought out of their homeland. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came and he defeated Israel and he brought them as slaves into the land of Babylon. So that's what it means when we read in chapter 1 or verse 1 of chapter 29. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. I want us to understand more the historical context here. To be brought into exile would be one of the most agonizing and painful things that could ever happen to a human being. What happened was an army from an enemy nation came and surrounded your city for months and possibly for years. Can you imagine the psychological stress of not being able to leave as your food and your water runs out? After months and years of that kind of treatment, finally a hole is punched into your city wall and an army races into the city. And if anyone knows anything from history, when an army sacks a city, it is about the most disturbing thing that can happen. The things you would witness happen to your friends and family would be appalling and stick with you for the rest of your life. And then these enemy soldiers who do not speak your language, who do not like you, would drag you from your home and carry you off to a country you've never lived in to speak, hear and speak a language you've never heard, and you would not be able to return home. This is your life. And what's so sad about this is it's so different from the plan that God had for his people in the Bible. It's so different. Look at verse 2. This is after King Jeconia and the queen mother, the eunuchs, and the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and all the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. You see, the king and the queen are gone. One thing, if we look back in the story of the Bible, we learn that God had established a good kingdom for his people. He had called Abraham and his descendants he gave them a land. He gave them a king named David who ruled over them. And he meant for that nation 
among all the other nations to bring them blessing. That was his good plan. He would have a nation who loved and worshiped and feared him among all the other nations. And during the high point of King David's kingship, foreign rulers travel from other nations to Israel to see their kingdom and meet the God who they worship. And after David reign and his son Solomon's reign, who were the high point in God's beautiful plan for his people, generation after generation sinned against God, refused to obey him, gave in to disobedience, became independent of him. God sent prophets to them to warn them, generation after generation, to turn back to him. God sent judgments to warn them, generation after generation, to stop. And when they wouldn't, when they became worse sinners than the other nations around them, he sent Babylon, the nation, to come and wage war against them and to take them out of the special promised land he had given them. That's why we find God's people in such a sad state of affairs, because of their sin. And the nation that was among all the other nations, pay attention to this, became a nation within a nation. We're going to get back to that idea. But the nation that was among all the nations, to bless all the nations, became a nation within a nation. If any of you come here today struggling with hopelessness or despair or sorrow, these people would know exactly what you feel like. I promise you that this text will address you today, no matter where you're at, on a pain or, a, or struggle, because this text was written to people, this letter was written to people who have experienced pain and struggle beyond what our modern experience could even compare to. So there they were. They would have been sitting in exile. They would have been thinking, I screwed it up. I disobeyed. It's over. They would have felt guilt and shame for their sin. They would have wondered, is God done with us? Is God done with us? Is God done with me? What's the purpose of living? You see, everything they had physically and spiritually was gone. And worst of all, it was their fault. This would have been an utterly hopeless moment. And what happens in verse 3? Take a look at verse 3. I'm not going to read it all because there's so many names in it. But at the beginning it says, the letter was sent by the hand of Elisa. A letter shows up. A letter shows up to these people in their lowest moment. A letter from God shows up. Can you imagine their relief? They would have wondered, is God ever going to speak to us again? Will God ever communicate to us again? Will we ever hear from him again? And all of a sudden, this letter from a prophet shows up. Can you imagine their expectation? What does it say? What does God want us to know? And that's what we get to in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. The way God introduces himself is going to be really important for understanding this letter. The first thing he says is, I am the Lord of hosts. 
The hosts are all the spiritual forces in the world, the spiritual rulers. God first introduces himself as sovereign over them. Next, he calls himself the king of Israel. That's so precious to hear. If you're in exile, you would think, is he even my God anymore? Or has he abandoned me? No, he's still the king of Israel. And he says, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, the last point God makes is that he is sovereign. He is sovereign. The exile happened as a part of his plan for his people. King Nebuchadnezzar might have done it, but God was the one who determined it should happen. When difficult things are happening in the world, when pain and chaos is happening in the world, God is in control. God was in control over the exile of his people. God is in control of America in 2020. If there's anything we learn from this text, it's that God is in control and he's sovereign. And there's nothing that is in charge but him. So what does God then say to his people? Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. This is a surprising thing to say. What is it that he's saying? He's saying, start to build a life in Babylon. Start to live in Babylon like you're at home. It's not your home, but start to live like it is your home. Build a house. Plant a garden. Don't despair. Don't give in. I'm still on my throne. I still have good plans. So start to live like there's a future. Start to live like life will go on. Then he says, okay, God, but should, should we even bother to have children? Think of this horrible situation we're in, in exile, outside of the promised land, in captivity in a foreign nation. Should we even bother to have a next generation? Verse 5, build house. Verse 6, take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. So what God is saying is I want you to multiply and become more of a people rather than less of a people even as you're in captivity in Babylon. I want you to think for a moment. Where in the Bible does God first tell his people to take care of a garden and to multiply and have children? Thank you. Whoever said that, I couldn't see any mouths moving because of your mask. So. But thank you. These are the very first commands God gives in the beginning of the Bible. What do they even mean? Why does he bring up those commands? If we remember God's plan from the beginning of the Bible, it's to multiply and fill the earth with image bearers, people who live and love and resemble God. God's plan is for the whole world to be filled with people who 
live and look like him in their hearts so that he gets praise and honor and glory. And what's amazing here is that he's saying, my plan has not changed. The wor your world might have fallen apart. You might be in prison, in exile, in a faraway land. But my plan has not changed. As a nation within a nation, I want you to multiply and fill up Babylon with image bearers. I want this country to be full of people who live like God and love like God and obey God. There's an exciting plan for his people while they're in captivity in Babylon. God's plan has not fallen apart. And his plan for your life hasn't fallen apart. Whatever brokenness is in your past, whatever hurt is in your present, his plan for your life has not fallen apart. And his plan for his people's life has not fallen apart. What else does he say to do in verse 7? But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. Now, how does it usually go when two nations occupy the same space? Really poorly. Really poorly. It's called civil war. But God says, I do not want that to happen when you're in Babylon. I want the opposite to happen. I want you to not pray against the, your neighbors, but to pray for them. I want you to pray for your neighbors. Now think about that. These people weren't just any neighbors. They were people who had come to their country and dragged them out of their country and brought them into captivity. And God's saying, I want you to pray for these people. And better yet, I want you to bless them. I want you to improve their lives. This is an, in the Old Testament, an enemy nation who is against the nation of Israel. God wants them to live in a way that improves their lives. Because he says, in, your welfare, in their welfare, you will find your welfare. In other words, when they live for the good of others, it's not going to stop their mission to multiply and fill Babylon with people who love and live like God. It's going to help it. When you're not in conflict with your neighbor... They're going to be okay with you worshiping your God. They're going to be okay with you raising your children to know and love God. It's going to help them expand and multiply in Babylon. You see, the reason that they didn't have to fight against Babylon was because they were okay letting Babylon have the land. They're a nation within a nation without a land. They're not competing and fighting for the land in which they live. They're not trying to take it over. They're content to let Nebuchadnezzar or whatever king in Babylon be king. Fine, let him be king. The only thing I'm going to do is I'm going to love other people around me. And I'm going to multiply so that there's more people who love and know and live like God. I'm going to fill Babylon. I'm going to fill this country with people who, like me, love and worship the Lord God. That's God's plan for his people in exile 2,500 years ago. Multiply and do not decrease. Pursue intimacy with me. 
and love your neighbors so well that they're happy you're among them. Calamity and chaos and war did not stop this plan. God wasn't thwarted by it. He wasn't even concerned with it. In fact, he was sovereign over it. That's where the people of Babylon found themselves, or the people of God in Babylon found themselves. Now, I want to ask you guys, what does this have to do with us right now? In light of the presidential election, in light of everything else in our culture and society that's happening. And to answer that question, I want to ask everyone to turn in their Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Verse 11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. When the Apostle Peter is writing to the church, he calls the church exiles. He draws on the biblical history, the biblical story we just taught to help us to understand our place and our role among our nations. You see, when we become believers in Jesus Christ, we join the people of God. And when we join the people of God, all the promises and the expectations in the Old Testament become hope for us. Including these stories about exiles and promises God makes to people in exile. So when Peter writes this, we shouldn't be surprised that he's saying almost the exact same thing to the church as, he, as God said to these exiles in Babylon all these years ago. He says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Do nice things. Be honorable. Be a blessing to other people. Don't hurt them. Help them. Make them happy that they know you. And then inevitably, since we don't follow the idols of our culture when we're spoken against with evil intent, Peter says, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The church multiplies as we honor others. The church multiplies as we love other people. There's a change since Jesus came. Before Jesus came, his people was a monoethnic, one culture group who multiplied by having children. Now, since Jesus came, his people is a multi-ethnic people from every nation. That's the new and better plan that Jesus brings for us. And that's what we're called to do. That's how we're called to multiply. We invite other people to come and follow Jesus with us. And we find that we're a nation within a nation without a land. 
and we're not trying to take over this one. Let the Democrats have it. Let the Republicans have it. We're waiting for something better. And our plan and God's plan for us right now is the exact same plan as it's always been since the Garden of Eden. Multiply people who love God. That's why you're here. That's why God saved you. Because he wants to use you to multiply his love into more people. How do you do that? You love other people so well that they would rather be in exile in your nation without a land than have a land. This is the beautiful purpose that we find that God is calling us to in the church. The church is a greater nation than any nation on earth. It's a nation of love, a nation that unifies rather than divides. As our nation divides and fights, and as the nations of the earth divide and fight, we unify around the God that we love and the unchanging plan that he's given us. I want you to just listen to this quote from this book called, How Can I Love Church Members with Different Politics? This is by uh, Andy Nacelli and Jonathan Lehman. There's been nothing like the church in the history of the world. Every other nation has been united either by powerful men with swords or by family relations, including ancient Israel. Yet now a new nation exists, held together by neither sword nor family, but only by word and spirit. Indeed, it's a nation that doesn't presently possess a land. It's like God wanted the world to see what he alone could do. So he took a bunch of natural enemies saved them by his son's blood and with the spirit's power and created a united and peace-sharing people. The local church is where enemy tribes start beating swords into plowshares. That means turning weapons of war into gardening tools and spears into pruning hooks. It's where black and white, rich and poor, young and old, educated and uneducated, American and Chinese, sanitation worker and senator unite. Church, this simple message is a call for us to be a family of servant missionaries in 2020 and beyond. As our country fractures and as people look for hope in politicians, we are called to do the same thing the apostles commanded us to do, to be a family of servant missionaries in this country. On November 4th, no matter what happens and no matter who wins, the plan doesn't change. Multiply and do not decrease. So God's word is to us this evening. Multiply and do not decrease. It's not fun being in exile at all. It means you're marginalized. It means in many ways you're a second-class citizen. It means you do not rule in many ways. You do not ascend. You are not in. You are out. The life of an exile in Babylon would have been very difficult. You are a conquered people, an ethnic outsider, and a failure. And yet God has a good plan for you. How does he sustain 
How does God plan to sustain an exile in the calling he has for them in Babylon? Let's turn back to Jeremiah 29, because he's got some more teaching here in this letter to show how God plans to sustain an exile in Babylon. Verse 8, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. We don't have much time for these verses other than to say that if you hear from anyone a message that you are not in exile on this world, that this is your home, that you should strive for power and success and comfort here, they are a false prophet. They are a false prophet and they are telling you a lie. What is the true message God wants to tell us to sustain us in our life as exiles in America? Verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. So God says, you don't get a land right now, but you will in the future. 70 years from now, I'm going to bring you back to the promised land, he says to the exiles. Now, it's interesting that the time span is 70 years. What would you guys say the average lifespan of a human being is? About that long. Basically, God's saying, you just live your life in Babylon, and you let me worry about the future beyond that. You just spend your life here, multiplying and not decreasing, and I'll take care of getting my people back to the promised land when the time arrives. And then he says in verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Here's one of our favorite verses, isn't it? So many of us can quote it. So many of us use this verse. And you should. It's a beautiful verse. It teaches that God's power that is sovereign is guided by a love for you and your good. As he sovereignly watched over his people in exile and fulfilled his plan for them, it was only out of good intention for them. When Jerusalem fell and they were brought to Babylon, God's love for his people did not cease. And maybe you feel like you're in exile more than other people right now as you go through more suffering than most people. And this word is for you. God says to you, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to help you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and hope. When we belong to Jesus, that becomes God's heart for you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. And as we read the pages of the New Testament, how similar, how similar is the pattern of our lives to how God addressed the exiles in Babylon. After our lifetime of exile here, is there not a new creation waiting for us? Is there not a place with no pain, no lying politicians, no brokenness, no sickness, and no death? 
This is the hope that is meant to sustain you for the next seven years in exile. So church, let's stop trying to be citizens when we're exiles. Let's stop treating elections like everything depends on them. Because guess what? It doesn't. And let's stop despairing or freaking out because our lives or world is falling apart. Because the politicians don't hold our world. God does. We have a hope that can endure us to stick, stick with the game plan. All you have to worry about, besides intimacy with God, is multiplying and not decreasing. You want to say, Ross, what's one practical thing? What's one practical thing you want me to do as a result of this sermon? After seeking your father's face and praying and spending time with him, come make disciples here on Wednesday. That's what we're just going to try to go out and do as a church. As the world is wringing their hands and freaking out about who's going to occupy the White House, we're going to tell them who occupies the throne of heaven and invite them to come and worship him with us. We're going to give people a real hope who are putting their confidence in failures. So please come and please multiply and do not decrease. None of this life that we have available to us would even be possible if it were not for Jesus. If you remember the life of Jesus, who deserved to be a citizen besides him? Who deserved to be treated well besides him? And yet who suffered and died under the wrath of the Roman Empire? It was him. Just as the wrath of the Babylonian Empire came down upon Israel, the wrath of God in the Roman Empire came down on Jesus. He died as an exile on the cross. A death that I deserved. A death that you deserve. And he invites us to come and believe in him. So that rather than being a citizen here for now and an exile forever in judgment, we can live here for a few years as an exile before being a citizen forever. If you don't know this Jesus yet, please don't leave without talking to me or any of our other members. He has such good plans for you. That verse, verse 11, it's for you if you come to him. Plans to give you a future and a hope. I want you to have a future and a hope. Please don't leave without a future and a hope. And church, let's embrace our identity as an exile. Let's not, when we're marginalized, when we're spoken of evilly against, when we're pushed down or persecuted, let's not act like it's the end of the world. It's, it's okay. We're exiles to begin with. I love how well Christians have been treated in this country, but it's an anomaly. And at the end of the day, we're exiles. This is not our home. This is not our kingdom. This is, we do not own a nation. We're a nation within a nation, and we're waiting for our land. We're not trying to take this one. So please, please, let's hope in Christ, and let's multiply and not decrease, and let's hope in the good plans that God has for us in the midst of this as he sovereignly guides history all around us. Please join me in a word of prayer. Thank you, God, for preserving this letter for us and this story from all these millennia ago of your faithfulness to exiles in Babylon.
and then showing us through the Apostle Peter how that's us. That's us, and you have a plan and a hope for us and a mission for us. Thank you for Jesus who made all this possible. Thank you, Jesus. And I ask that we would just respond with praise and worship at what you've done and hope for the life that is to come. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.